Well, it's good to be with you this morning. It's um, nice to see some new faces, nice to see some familiar faces. Y'all doing okay? Really? Okay, okay, all right, all right, all right, good. Hope you're having a good Labor Day weekend. We're in a series on 1 Peter, all right? I hope you've been reading ahead. It's simply called Living Hope because when Peter writes this, it is to a persecuted church and they need this hope. And so today we're going to talk about rock solid. Now, if you travel south, how many of you have been on I-69 so far? Let me, let me see if you've been. Okay, all right. Great road. But if you're traveling south on I-69 from Monroe County, before you get to Highway 231, there is a bridge that has on both ends of the bridge a yellow warning sign that says, Bump. Have, have any of you been to the Bump? Okay. Been down that road a few times. I thought, well, okay, you know, I guess they just have a little bit of stuff they haven't finished up yet. But the last time I was down that way, the sign is still there. And I'm wondering, why is there a bump at this bridge? This week, I learned the answer. Apparently, did you know this? Apparently, the bridge is sinking. Already on I-6. Now, I have no idea what the cause is, but there are foundation issues. NDOT is using the phrase, environmental instability shifting. Which, when translate, means big mistake. <laughs> now, having been down that road a few times, I would suggest you heed the warning sign. You don't hit that bump going at 65 miles an hour. Slow down because it's a major bump. But here we are, this brand new road, and, and we've got an issue with a foundation already. It's a simply good reminder that building without a solid foundation is a waste of time, energy, and resources. This portion of 1 Peter is about building and growing. Now, most often when we think of church growth, what's the first thing that comes to our mind? We think about more people filling up the empty seats, and that's important. Church growth from a standpoint of numbers matters. A number represents a person, and a person is somebody that God loves, okay? And so a church that never has new numbers has got a problem because we're not reaching people that need to be reached with the gospel. Okay. But this, this passage in 1 Peter is not about growing in people. It is about people growing internally. It's not outward growth. It's inward growth. Both types are vital. Knowledge without conversion is an empty outcome. Conversion without spiritual development is an immature outcome. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 1, last week, you should have talked about the fact that God laid a foundation in Jesus Christ, all right? His death, burial, and resurrection in the past, and the Holy Spirit guiding our lives today. That's, that's a good foundation to build on. So here in chapter 2, he challenges the reader to start building faithfully on the foundation that has already been laid. Now, visit any construction site, and you're going to see some things that are constants, Okay? And, and I'm going to go through a few of those because they also apply to what Peter's saying and to our lives. Ready for the first one? Trash to throw away. Have you ever been to a construction site and seen trash? As a matter of fact, I think some construction crews hire somebody that does just that. After the day is over, they clean up the trash and get ready for the next day, and they throw it away. Right, I'm going to ask you to read out loud with me from 1 Peter chapter 2 today. Okay, so we're going to take a look at our first passage of Scripture. Let's read it. Can you, read, can you see it okay? Do I need to step down? Am I blocking you? All right, let's read it together. Therefore, 
rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now it begins with therefore, or as a result, and you're saying, okay, as a result of what? Well, back up into chapter 1 just a little bit, and the last thing he has to say is, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. That's the last thing he said. So now Peter is saying, as a result of loving one another deeply, or the command to love one another deeply, take out the trash. So how are you going to love one another deeply from the heart? You've got to get rid of some things. The word rid is often used of describing taking, somebody taking off dirty clothes. Now, when I've been working outside around the house, and I come in, and my clothes are dusty and dirty, and I am sweaty, and I'm a, I'm a mess, the one thing I don't do is sit down on the couch. I don't lay down on the bed and take a nap. I don't traipse through the house with muddy shoes on. Why? Because you don't want to mess up the clean stuff with the dirty stuff that you're wearing. So I change clothes or I jump in the shower. I get clean before I do anything else like that. Spiritually speaking, as we build our lives in Christ, we've got some construction trash. We're wearing some filthy spiritual clothes that we need to get rid of in order to be who God wants us to be. All right? Malice. Malice is the desire to hurt others behind a mask of doing good. And say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, let me give you an example. Have you ever been in a, in a gathering and you're taking prayer requests and somebody says something like this, I'd like you all to pray for Joe. He's a real mess. I've heard he's addicted to drugs and I'm pretty sure from the bruise I saw on his wife's hand that he's abusive. Someone told me he has anger issues, so he's a real piece of work. Would you pray for Joe? That's malice behind a mask of good. That's a prayer request that's involving a lot of gossip. All right, We don't know that those things are true, but sometimes people use that as kind of a backhanded way to say what they feel about somebody else. Deceit, that's the deliberate attempt to mislead with our words. Hypocrisy, deliberate attempt to mislead by our actions. Envy, that's longing for something that somebody else has and wishing they didn't have it so you could have it. Okay? It's different from just saying, oh, that's nice, I'd like to have that. It's saying, I don't want him to have it so that I can have it. Slander, running down other people to help us feel better about ourselves. Now, I don't want to ask for a show of hands, but does, does any of that sound familiar? Quite a bit of trash that we need to get rid of. Here, every one of these dark side vices interferes with the activity of love. You see what Peter's at? We can't be malicious and loving at the same time. We can't be slanderous and loving at the same time. We can't be hypocritical and loving at the same time. Something has to go. This stuff, by the way, cannot be recycled. It has to go in the trash. No trash stickers are needed. This is a free dump. Just erase and scrub the hard drive of these things, will you please? And Peter says we ought to be as passionate about getting rid of this stuff as a brand new baby longs for milk. And when a baby enjoys that wonderful source of life, that child begins to mature to solid food. And Peter's saying, this is the first thing we need to get rid of so that we can begin the process 
of maturing. So, got to get rid of some trash. Here's a second picture. Quality materials for construction. The, the, the construction people I know want to use quality materials when they build. Why? Because if you use shoddy materials, then the end product will be that way as well. It will reflect that shoddy workmanship. Okay, we've got another long passage here. Will you read it out loud with me? Okay, this is from chapter 2, verses 4 and following. Can you see it? As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a choice and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter quotes from two Old Testament writers. Isaiah refers to Jesus here as a precious cornerstone. And then Psalm 118 says the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. Now, what you need to know is that when the temple was built back in the time of Solomon, all of the stones were cut to size at the quarry. They were not cut at the temple site. They were cut at the quarry, and they were brought up, and they fit perfectly together. Now, you know, that, that's just, to me, is amazing when you think back to that day and time, the ability to cut stones that would fit perfectly in that environment. But they did. And I don't know if this is just purely symbolic or if, if Peter is referring to and, the, and David is referring to a time when they really did lose track of a cornerstone. Because, you know, the cornerstone is what you begin with. It's the stone that sets everything else into order in the building process. God also shapes each one of us perfectly. You're, you're a cut stone here this morning. Some of you may be harder-headed than others, but we are all cut stones shaped by God to fit with this cornerstone. I don't know if you find this interesting or not, but a cornerstone and a capstone are two different stones, but both refer to Jesus Christ. Cornerstone is the first of the building process. What's a capstone? Anybody know? We, we got a picture here, I think, of an arch. All right, you see that arch? How, how does an arch with stones hold together? If you're building a stone arch, you're building from the outside up toward the very center. And if you'll notice there in the center, there's kind of a wedge-shaped stone that's almost in the very center. That's the capstone. When you get the arch to the very last, you put in a special stone, and by the pressure of the angles, it holds everything together. So the cornerstone is the First place you start, 
Capstone is the last stone that goes in and holds everything together. Sort of sounds like the same way of saying that Jesus is the first and the last, that he's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the cornerstone. He's the capstone. You see, what, a, what terrific building opportunities we have. The only time God will inhabit a room is when his people gather in that room. In the Old Testament temple, it was considered God's house. In here, you, we together are God's house, which is why Peter says we are being built up as living stones. Now, when you read the word living stones, does that create a question? It does for me. Are there such things as dead stones? If there are living stones, are there such things as dead stones? Do you know the answer to that? Yes. There are such things as dead stones. Um, have you ever driven past any of the quarries here in Monroe County? I mean, there are a lot of stone quarries around here. What do you see when you drive past a stone quarry? You see a lot of stones piled up. Some of them are, some of the limestone is getting gray with the passing of time. These stones are not usable. Uh, they're not considered valuable for several reasons. But if what I told you, if what I've been told by those who work in the industry is true, many of these stones are no longer valuable because through the passing of time, they've been too, they've become too hard to cut or shape. And in a sense, they are called dead stones. So when Peter talks about us being living stones, there really are such things as dead stones. And, and maybe there's a lesson there to learn for us. The, the analogy isn't difficult. I've met some people in the kingdom whose hearts over time have become too hard to share a tender thought or merciful deed. Some heads have become too hard over time and can no longer think or dream as God wants us to dream. Over time, some wills have become too hard and are no longer flexible to embrace what God calls us to be, to reflect His will and purpose in our life. So, the next time you pass a quarry, which may be today after you leave this service, as you pass the quarry, you look at the, the stones that are getting gray, that have been laying there for a long time, that are no longer usable to anybody. I want you to pray. I want you to say, Lord, I'm praying for a tender heart a mind filled with dreams for the kingdom, and a will that is shaped by your will. Pray to be a living stone, not a dead stone in the Lord's kingdom, because this is the most important construction work of the world, and we need to be at the top of our game. And did you notice that Peter said we are priests? Now, okay, I'll be real honest with you. I'm not, that's not a term I'm real comfortable with. If I ask you this morning, I want you to start calling me a priest that, that would make some of you feel very awkward and rightly so. And if I started calling you priests this morning, it would be pretty awkward and confusing to you as well. But the word is actually a great word. If you understand what a priest did in the Old Testament sense, you would say, oh yeah, no wonder he's called us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people after God's own heart. Because what a priest did at that day and time was a priest was a, was a person of prayer. They made sacrifices. They interceded on behalf of other people, and they always kept spiritual things at the forefront of their life. Now, let me ask you, isn't that what we're supposed to do in the kingdom of God? To be a people of prayer? To be, actually, the Latin word for priest is bridge builder. 
Aren't we supposed to be a bridge builder to other people who do not know Jesus Christ? Aren't we supposed to make sacrifices on behalf of the gospel that it'll go forward and, and out into the world? And aren't we as Christians supposed to have at the forefront of our minds the spiritual matters of this life? Yeah. So when Peter uses the term, he's talking about the whole church, not an individual, not a person, not an office, not a role. He's talking about the way we are to live, living stones and a royal priesthood. Now to give you a new image of who you are when you leave this building this morning, because I think we've got our work cut out for us. We've got some trash to get rid of. We've got some construction that needs to be done. And the last thing is we need to be following the right blueprint for a finished product. Okay, one more passage to read from 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's read it together out loud. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. A blueprint is not a photograph. Uh, you've seen blueprints, right? A photograph is of a finished product. A blueprint tells us how to get to the finished product. You wouldn't frame a blueprint. You might frame a painting that somebody's done of your house and put it above your mantle, if it's a really nice painting, but you won't frame a blueprint. But of the two, the blueprint is the most important. It tells you how to get to where you need to be. It tells you how to finish the house, the garage, the shed, whatever it is. God's blueprint tells us what we're supposed to look like when we are mature Christians. This is what we're to look like. One who looks like a stranger in this world. It doesn't say strange. It says stranger. Two different things. God doesn't ask us to act or look strange. He says, be a stranger. An, an alien, he uses the word here. Somebody who is not at home in this place. I don't think it has anything to do with the way we look. I think it has everything to do with not being comfortable in this place. Do you remember the story in the Old Testament of Lot's wife? Lot and his family had left the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and the angels said before the destruction of the cities happened, do not turn around, do not look back. And Lot's wife looked back, and she was immediately turned into a pillar of salt, the Bible says, or a pile of salt, perhaps. She may have been vaporized by the destruction of the city. Do you know what the word long, uh, look back there means? It means look back with longing. In other words, she was looking back and saying, this is my home. I'm leaving my home. And God didn't want her attachment to be to this world. He wanted it to be attached to where we're headed. This is not our home. We are strangers in this world. A Christian must view heaven as home and what we're doing here as vacation. You're not at home here getting ready to go on a long eternal vacation. You're on vacation in this world waiting to go to your eternal home. Big difference in the way we look at it. Here's another thing. One who abstains from sinful desires. Not just the act, but even the desire. The way we think must change. Sinful thoughts lead to sinful actions. It's not just about changing the behavior. It's about changing the way we think. How many of you have seen All in the Family? Either remember it live when it was on or you've seen it in reruns. Okay? Archie Bunker, I, almost without exception, in, in most of the episodes that I saw, Archie Bunker would look at his somewhat hapless wife and say, 
Edith, stifle yourself. You remember that? Stifle yourself. Never thought I would use Archie Bunker as a point of theology, all right? But that's pretty, that's pretty good advice for a Christian in the way they think with regard to the desires of this world. We've got to stifle ourselves about the sinful desires. Not just the actions, but the actual thinking that leads to the actions. So, we need to be one who abstains from sinful desires. And lastly, one who lives such good lives that accusations won't, won't stick. Be spiritual Teflon, not spiritual Velcro. Wouldn't it be nice if when a rumor circulates about you at work, that somebody says, I know him, I know her, I don't believe a word of it. Don't you want that kind of reputation? Peter says, live such good lives among the rest of the world that they can't find anything to accuse you of, and on the day that Jesus visits us, they will glorify God. You ever been in a, um, a, a mall or a truck stop that has a Cinnabon franchise? What's, what's the first thing that hits you when you open the door? Oh, that wonderful heavenly smell of cinnamon rolls. My mind, my head, my eyes turn exactly. To, I can hardly walk by. There, there, to me, there is just absolutely nothing better than the smell of homemade fresh bread with specifically cinnamon rolls. Surely there will be cinnamon rolls in heaven. It is a perfect place there. How could cinnamon rolls not be there in heaven? Our lives ought to be lived in such a manner that the aroma of our action, like those fresh-baked cinnamon rolls, draws others' attention to us in such a way they are overwhelmed and say, wow, that's the way I want to live. All right, well, I got some assignments for you this week, all right? Thought you were going to get out of here without some work to do? not on your life. Here are your assignments real quickly. Take out the trash. Do a spiritual inventory of your vices that prevent you from being able to love others genuinely. How often in a week's time do you try to deceive or ridicule or share gossip or find yourself being envious of others? That will keep us from living out what God wants to do. So get rid of the trash. Number two, act like a priest. Increase your prayer life. Build a bridge to someone else who desperately needs to see a genuine picture of Jesus Christ as a friend, as a co-worker, and keep the spiritual matters of your life at the forefront of your mind and heart. Third, check the blueprint of your life this week. Work on one desire, just one, that is hindering your life from becoming what Jesus Christ wants it to be for the blueprint He has for you. Now, you probably know this story. <clears throat> Alfred Nobel started the legacy of the Nobel Prizes. Do you know why he started them? Because he picked up the newspaper one day, and a French journalist had gotten the two mixed up between he and his brother Ludwig. Ludwig had died. But instead of printing Ludwig's obituary, this man had written the obituary of Alfred Nobel. And, he, and, and if you do not know, Alfred Nobel was the man who invented dynamite. And so the obituary read that this man was a killer of masses. He was a, a, a creator of destruction. And it went through this horrible litany of what Alfred Nobel had been. Only fact was it was all wrong because it wasn't Alfred that had died. It was Ludwig that had died. But it was the most 
transformational moment. It was like it was like he was able to look at the blueprint of the life that he had built as opposed to the blueprint of the life that he had wanted to build. And so from that moment on, Alfred Nobel changed everything and, and started this incredible, uh, what, what we still celebrate today is the Nobel Prizes. Uh, prizes for peace, literature, uh, physiology, and medicine, physics, and chemistry. And when he died many years later in 1896, his obituary described him as a humanitarian and as a visionary. Nobody remembered that he was the creator, inventor of dynamite. Now, it might be nice if every one of us got a chance to see our obituary before we actually died. But you really don't need one. All you have to do is take a look at the blueprint that God has created for your life. And you live by that blueprint, and when your obituary is finally printed in the newspaper, it will be one that reflects the glory and the greatness and the grandeur of God. What would your obituary say today if when you get home and you open up Sunday's paper, you saw your name listed there? Would you be pleased? Or would it say you need to do a little bit more work as a living stone in the body of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for the day and for all that you have given to us. We know you've given us a great foundation to build on. So Lord, help us to be living stones. Help us to rid ourselves of the things that will make life as a Christian impossible. And help us to follow your blueprint, Lord, so that as we shape our lives, our lives will reflect you to a lost and dying world. May your will be done in us and through us. In Christ we pray. Amen.